My name is David. I'm an organist. And today we're joined by Father Keith Votes, uh, a priest in the Diocese of Long Island. Long Island. Father Keith, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Glad, uh, glad to be here. Yeah. Welcome to All Things Right and Musical. I love the title. <laughs> Um, so you, you were just saying that Ascension Tide, you know, out here in the central U.S., um, maybe is not, not as observed as widely as, as it is in other parts of the Episcopal Church. Yeah, well, it's not as widely observed as it needs to be everywhere, but mm-hmm. um, I, I was interested when you tagged me in the podcast last week, and I'm thinking of all the things that I post, that's the, that's the, that's the one thing that gets people's attention uh, was about the Paschal candle and Ascension. Um, and then I listened to you all. And uh, so I, I just, I'm glad, thank you for the invitation. And uh, I'm glad that I can add in my two or three cents to this, uh, to this discussion. Sure. Yeah. So um, I guess maybe it, the, the place to start is sort of at the very beginning, when, whenever we're fortunate enough to have a guest on the podcast, I always like to pose the question, um, what's your very earliest memory of Episcopal liturgy? Oh, well, that's easy for me, um, because I didn't grow up in Episcopalian. I grew up a good old Baptist, uh, grape juice and matzah for a communion one Sunday a month. Um, and then when I was a sophomore in high school, way back in 1994, uh, I was invited to a youth version of Curcio by a friend. Uh, and it was the Eucharist and that that on the on that weekend that made me say i need to find out more about this uh and then along you know then 15 years later i'm ordained uh but uh it was uh that was that was that was my first memory of of being in trinity terrafil which is quite the even terrafil connecticut which is quite the evangelical parish um which considering the crazy anglo-catholic uh that i've become uh, is 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 fascinating, uh, but it was a good bridge for me coming from the tradition I did. But there was something about the ceremony um, that I felt that I knew was lacking in my spiritual life, and and that started me on this on this journey in Anglicanism. That's great. So, so so tell us, just give us the Reader's Digest version then. So from Baptist to um, Trinity, and what was the name of the town? Trinity Terrafield, Connecticut. Terrafield, Connecticut. And, and and that you would describe that as fairly broad. Well, I mean, east facing altar, but uh, if I remember correctly, they because um, I'm trying to separate my memories of being there while I was a priest. Uh, I didn't serve there, but you know when I would be there for for events and things, and, and when I was in high school, I do believe they had a portable altar that they that they that they darted out because um, I would have remembered east facing celebration that early on. Um. And there really is no good. That's that's one of those places where the building wins. They'll never put it in a in a west face, you know, a, a west facing altar. Thanks be to God. Um, so, <laughs> uh, then I went off to college, a rather evangelical college. Um, I came out, so you can imagine it was pretty messy through all that. And then the Episcopal Cathedral at at uh, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, hired me as their youth director as I was trying to figure out what my early 20s was going to turn into. Um, I ended up returning to Connecticut, did the whole falling out of church thing for a while. While I was in Harrisburg, I was confirmed. I always still considered myself an Episcopalian. 
I got back to church when I was about 25. So I would say between the ages of like 22 and 25, I really didn't attend. Um, and then I went off to seminary when I was 30 and went to general uh, before the incident. You know, I was like, say, you know, before and after, before the incident. And uh, was really kind of steeped in the, in the Anglo-Catholicism of that place and, and the Catholic identity of that place. And, and kind of just moved me further into, into that place and, it, um, and into the place where I find my spiritual, spirituality now. Sure, and my spirituality yeah. as a priest, I, 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 it was from there that I've really started to identify myself as an Anglo-Catholic priest. Okay. And, and so I think this, this is going to tie directly into our conversation about Ascension. Would you describe kind of um, the, the flavor of things at the parish where you now serve? My parish is 100% West Indian, other than me. It is the most amazing place in the world. It's uh, the Church of St. Alban the Martyr, and we are in St. Albans, Queens, which is a historically black neighborhood in Queens. It's right on the uh, kind of Long Island, New York City border. It has a long history of, of, of really famous black musicians uh, living there. Uh, so Ella Fitzgerald and Lena Horne and a whole bunch of, it has this really deep musical history. And, and, and the, it went from kind of an Irish-German neighborhood to uh, a West Indian neighborhood in the 50s and, and is, has stayed more or less like that. But with, when, when, when people came from the islands, they brought with a very Anglo-Catholic tradition. Um, and, and it's a very formal, traditional place. Uh, it had a, a, uh, a rector in the late 60s. Uh, well, yes, the late 60s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He was there in the late sixties and he, uh, kind of redecorated the place, uh, in the, in the, in the vision of Vatican II. And so we are, we're, we're certainly a West facing, um, you know, it's West facing celebration. We go back and forth between right one and right two, depending on the season. Although I would do, if I had my druthers, we would do, you know, right one, um, every service, but I wouldn't win. I'm not, I'm not going to win that battle right now. But uh, a very, very high view of the Eucharist, a very, very high view of the prayer book, very, very, very high view of scripture. Um, my first rector that I worked for in my first curacy when I was in the Diocese of Connecticut is the now Bishop of South Dakota. And he said to me, I always knew you were going to be a rector, but we needed to make sure you found a church that would match your crazy. And I have found a church that matched my crazy. So it's, it's perfect. That's great. That's great. Good. No, thank you for that. That's that's terrific. Um, all right. So let's let's get into this issue of uh, the Ascension and Ascension Day. So um, Ian and I, I think, agree with you that Ascension Day is uh, a principal feast of the Episcopal Church, and um, I don't I don't think we're, we're going to find any disagreement to, between us there. What we're talking about is a difference in um, ceremonial. I think it could be said that uh, the seventy nine prayer book has this idea that. Ascension is fully enclosed in the Easter season, um, and that the Paschal candle, you know, the, the, that rubric on whatever page it is in the Easter vigil says the Paschal candle burns at all services through the day of Pentecost. After Ian and I recorded last week, I had the hypothesis that maybe that rubric has something to do with baptismal feast days uh, in the 79 ecclesiology, um, and that may be neither here nor there. But just the idea that Ascension is sort of on its way to Pentecost, and Pentecost is another baptismal day, why not just leave it lit 
you know, for that intervening time, that intervening feast day, and that one intervening Sunday that's not Pentecost. I don't know that that probably doesn't matter. But anyway, uh, now now that I've clouded now that I've clouded my own question. Um. So, for me, anyway, I think that, and it's not just a ceremonial, right? It's about claiming these ten days between Ascension and Pentecost as Ascension tide. And to understand that those 10 days are days in which there is no longer the physical presence of Christ and the Holy Spirit has yet, not yet descended among the people. So it's like these 10 days of loneliness. It was, it's been described, you know, this is, this is you know, and I, we didn't just make this up to be, you know, fussy, right? There has been a, the idea of extinguishing the, 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 the Paschal candle on, after the gospel specifically on ascension and observing these 10 days as ascension tide held a history of 1500 years in the church. And it wasn't really until the 79 in the Episcopal church, you know, we always say that the Anglo Catholics won. Well, not really kind of in the 79. Yeah. We got a little ceremony, but we lost a lot of the theology to Vatican II. (laughs) And, and these 10 days, I think are, are really, really important because what they, what I think it calls us to reflect upon is the loneliness that the, that, that the 11 plus, plus the others felt, you know, in those days. Um, and this year, especially I, that tweet went out that I sent because it especially hit is hitting hard uh, this year about kind of that loneliness and despair that I would imagine that the disciples were 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 feeling over those those ten days, and they were waiting for a promise, just like we're waiting for a promise. I've often said that I I don't like this idea that Corona tide is you know this COVID nineteen is an extended Lent. I think I think it's an extended Advent right? Because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Let's not forget that, but we're waiting for something to happen. And in the same ways, I think if we look at Ascension Tide as a mini Advent, then we can understand that we're in expectation of the coming of the promised Holy Spirit. Yeah, this is really interesting um, to me because I I have not been um, a regular part of a parish that observed this season this way. So what you said about loneliness and expectation within this, the season of Eastertide, that holds some dissonance uh, with me as a sort of, um, I don't want to say born and bred, but someone is someone who's a, like a 1979 prayer book Episcopalian. I mean, that's, that's my introduction to the church, um, to the Episcopal church. So um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm willing, I'm, I'm totally willing to see that. Um, but I, I wonder, you know, so what, what do you say to um, the prayer book editors who, and this is the, this is the line in the Marion Hatchet uh, guide that really perplexed me about reclaiming the Easter season. So is Hatchet sort of making the implication that you can't really have a full 50 days of Easter unless you sort of diminish this idea of Ascension Tide, unless you diminish this idea of loneliness at the, at the very end of Easter? Well, I would never try to want to try to get into Marion Hatchet's head. Um, the, the, my, my, I love this. You know, I became an Episcopalian on the 79 and I don't, you know, I don't, I don't hate the 79 at all. Um, and I'm generally a follower of the rubrics. Um, this is one of the very few times that I kind of, I know that I, I go against at least the intention of the prayer book. Um, and my husband does too, who, 
who is a super soup makes me look like a low church Baptist again. Uh, that's how. <laughs> um, yeah, I think my my issues with Hatchet, and and he does this again, not having talked to him, but at least what I've read of Hatchet is that this whole idea of reclaiming the early church, which was this this whole thing in the liturgical movement, right? Was that we forgot that there was a church between 325 and, and the Enlightenment. Right? Things, there was long, we, we, we've extended, extinguished the Paschal candle as Christians on ascension longer than we haven't. So, we, if we believe that the Holy Spirit is constantly working through the church, maybe those generations in between actually had something good to say. And, and I, I, part of me wonders, and again, this is me tr trying to figure out what he meant, and, you know, we can't. But I also kind of see it with, with kind of the change in how we do funerals and everything is happy, 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 joyful, 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 without actually reflecting on the sadness of, of life. We've taken the sadness out of death. We've taken the sadness out of, like, we, right, we no longer want Advent to be a time, this time of expectation to be anything penitential. We want it to be just about joyful expectation. We want everything joyful, 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 joyful when in fact our spiritual journeys are ebbs and flows. And that's kind of what the liturgical year is supposed to be. That you would, you would have this sort of, um, I don't know, like many, uh, almost a, the way that you're describing it, sort of almost a mini, mini advent at the end of, uh, at the end of Eastertide. But that's, there, what, that's exactly what it's always been. I mean, yeah, there would be this, exact, this, I didn't make that up. That right, was right, right. What it was always meant to be. There, there would be this ebb and flow at the, at the end of, of that season too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, you, and you can't, how, I mean, aren't we, and, and I need to give, by the way, Liza, Dr. Liza Anderson, who is a wonderful theologian, uh, lay, lay theologian in the Episcopal Church, a lot of credit because she really got me thinking about a lot of this in a conversation she and I were having. Are we not those, aren't, don't, how much of our life are we those disciples looking up at Jesus' feet going into the clouds? And what at that moment were they thinking? Um, and how were they feeling? And they went to Jerusalem anyway and prayed within the community. And I think that's a really interesting part, right? They didn't, they were, they were probably dismayed and they were alone and yet they came together in the midst of prayer and community and serving as a priest in, in the, 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 the epicenter of the epicenter of COVID-19, right? Like that's been a thing for us this year. And sure, yeah. we've had to come together to pray in the midst of kind of loneliness and despair. And that's why uh, it's interesting that this comes up this year. Right, right. So, it, you know, I feel I feel really um, awkward that I, I latched onto your tweet, and and I, I do not know. I, I, my my guess is that you did not um, have anything to do with the Paschal candle this year. I mean, my guess is that you're not in your church building for that for for the, that day. No, but because we are those kind of Anglo Catholics, the ones that the whole segment of the church rolls their eyes about, we've set up a home. Home, <laughs> a home oratory, uh, in which we have the Paschal candle and everything. We've been taping mass every week uh, wow. to send for yeah. It's, it's so, nice having priests in the house. So, do you have a Paschal candle in your home oratory? Uh, well, we did until Ascension, and now it's <laughs> up and 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 it had, it's back in my parish. And so, as as part of that service, you extinguished it. I'm sure. Did we did? Yeah. It's even videoed. 
Wow, great. Uh, yeah, actually, my, my 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 husband Kevin, his parish is the is the Church of the Ascension. So, uh, as their feast of title, uh, we had you know we taped a mass mass for them. So, considering everything we're talking about, it kind of brings to the fore again what a major revision the 1979 was to the prayer book tradition. We don't speak those words. <laughs> we don't speak those words. What what words do you mean? Revision. Full-scale revision. Of revision. Yeah. Well, because if we were left with um, the 1928 book, even, you know, uh, yeah, if, if, the, if the 1979 had represented a different kind of prayer book revision, we would still have an Ascension Tide, I think it's fair to say. Well, maybe, maybe not, because, you know, I mean, the 28, it, it's interesting, right? The, the, so first of all, most Anglo-Catholics didn't use the 28. I mean, some did, sure, but a lot of people, a lot of them use the missile. So I think that's, that's, uh, and some still do, but at least the 79 right one is a little bit, a little bit closer to, to some missile work. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't think there would, would have, there certainly was not an emphasis on the full 50 days of Easter the way that we have the emphasis on it now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you, you never know. I mean, you know, we've always been this, us Tractarians have always been a very special breed among Anglicans that you, no one's ever quite known what to do with us. Um, so. <laughs> well, well, but it's, it's fascinating. And I think it puts the church in an interesting position going forward, right? Because, um, if we want, I think I think this kind of thinking about Ascension Tide is valuable, but I think for a lot of Episcopalians like me, we're taught to sort of perceive Easter Tide as a monolithic block. Yeah, we know the Ascension happens toward the end of it, but the period after that is still undifferentiated Easter. So, so what would it really be like to, um, in a future revision, um, which may or may not happen, admittedly, but in a future re- revision, what would you, as an Ascension Tide diehard, like to see the prayer book say? Because I, I could see kind of a, a double-track rubric. I mean, maybe that's all you would need to say, is the Paschal candle may be extinguished <laughs> uh, after the gospel on Ascension Day. Yeah, but I, 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 you know, I don't know. I, I think that these, I don't know, these discussions just fill me with so much anxiety um, that I'd rather just be left alone and, and at this point to extinguish my little can- to extinguish the candle for those of us who want to do that and uh, and and leave my prayer book alone uh, right now um, just because I, I I don't think I think you interested you know you when you say discuss and prayer book revision those two don't actually go together um, is, is uh, unfortunately um, there's no discussion which is why some of us have have really are really nervous about it because right, there is right. no discussion about it. There's just, we, we're going to do this, and this is what we're going to do to it. Um, but I'm sure that's a whole other episode, so. At least one, yeah. <laughs> well, no, but it is interesting, and it, and it gets at that, you know, it's more than a ceremonial action. It's 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 uh, So a rubric wouldn't be enough. In, in, in other words, you would need um, some, more, some more teaching and theologizing about this Ascension Day season. And I think in a large segment of the Episcopal Church, just speaking from my own experience, um, that is lost. I, I remember I've, I've been in a, a two um, ELCA Lutheran congregations I can think of where I've seen the Paschal candle extinguished on Ascension Day. But in my own experience, I've never witnessed that in an Episcopal church, I don't believe. So I, I, I imagine I'm not alone. Yeah, I, I mean, unless you are in a very, very, very kind of very high Anglo-Catholic with a missile uh, parish, you probably may not have seen that unless you have a very particular rector. 
um, like my congregation happens happens to have. Um, I, I think that's probably it. Um, you know, it's hit or miss. I, 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 you know, I, again, I, I think that we need to talk about Ascension Tide. It's not just fussiness and there's actually, right. I mean, it, with, there, there, there are reasons behind, the, you know, actions, right? And I think that we don't talk about why um, any kind of side of churchmanship does what they do, right? I mean, there's always, there should always be a reason behind the action. Right, and I, and I think that that extinguishing action is very clear. I mean, it 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 um, the first time I saw it, I remember that feeling of of loneliness and absence. I mean, it's a very clear uh, symbol in connection to what you've just read. Um, so yeah, that that in, in other words, that act alone may be sort of enough to to teach uh, what's going on there in that season. And it's not. I mean, I don't think it's overly complicated either, right? I mean. Any any priest could put in a half a paragraph in her or his uh, sermon to talk about it, and there you go. Uh, but I also think there's the issue, right, is that people don't go to church during on ascension. Right, right, and that's an ongoing. That's obviously an ongoing issue. Uh, it was interesting though. So even in it, it's always it's always badly attended all every every time. Even as as my my our, our my deanery of churches. In, in 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 Queens gets together and does an ascension mass, but I in the four years I've been there I've never seen more than fifty to seventy five people for all six of our churches, and these are people who go to church. By the way, this isn't like you know. Interestingly, though, this year on Zoom we had two hundred and ten for ascension. Wow, big difference. Yeah, so it's gotten my head head um, head my my brain working about talking about this a little more. Um, and obviously this was the, and, and I talked about it in my, in my sermon last Sunday too. I mean, you know, I think that it's also something we can talk about in that quote Easter seven, um, Sunday was what, you know, can you put your place, put, put yourself in the place of these disciples? Wouldn't you feel just desperate and alone? And, and how does that, how does that, what does that mean with your relationship with Jesus? Um, and how does that change? And how, how do you feel when you're feeling desperate and alone? Um, and how does that change your prayer life? How does that change, um, you know, your relationship with God? Does that change how you see God in the world? Like, I mean, I think there's some really deep questions in this long. I love, I've kind of adopted this word for through Corona Tide is, is longing. I love the idea of longing. Um, so what are we longing for in, in, in this in-between time? Yeah, I mean, it's especially it's especially timely given what we're all uh, living through at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't expect to win this battle, but you know, maybe one day. At least I, if people still let me talk about it. <laughs> well, no, it is it is funny, and I don't want to I don't want to pose this as a battle. It's just um, it's it is a it's a wonderful, obviously historic tradition of the church, uh, and we're kind of in an interesting place with respect to it now, given that the prayer book sort of. And I I even consulted Dennis Michneau. Um, before this meeting, and he goes out of his way to say, "No, don't do this. <laughs> don't ex- don't extinguish the candle." And I'm sure there are lots of liturgical guys that that come down one way or the other. Um, if I had to guess, I would say most of them uh, that are attached to the 79 probably um, err, err on the side of following the rubric. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, it, 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 more than a battle, I'm sort of more interested in the the fruit of of this kind of conversation. 
Yeah, and this is the kind of discussion that we need to be having more often about liturgical action rather than making assumptions mm-hmm. on why, you know, why people do things the way they do or why they may not. You know, I, I, I'm not, I, I, as I said, I, I actually take my vow uh, of obeying the doctor, discipline, and worship of the church very seriously, and that includes the rubrics. Uh, but this is the one that I'm happy to have a pastoral conversation with my bishop about. That's a, that sounds good. And given what we've seen um, with the Roman Catholic Church and transferring the Feast of, of the Ascension to a Sunday, rather off of a Thursday, um, do you think that that's sort of the writing on the wall as far as where the Episcopal Church is headed with, that, with this feast? And does that present any kind of added opportunity, given that the feast itself would be observed by more worshipers on a Sunday morning? Yeah, so it's and it's not just us. I mean, it's, it wouldn't just be Ascension, right? They do the same thing with um, with Epiphany, right? I'm really of. I'm kind of broken about it because I I don't like that people don't get that scripture in these lessons and don't get to hear their priests preach about these feasts on a regular basis because life gets in the way. I also. Sometimes I feel like we don't expect enough out of out, out, out of out of the faithful anymore. Um, it's kind of um, you know, Burger King, have it your way. And 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 the more that we change church like that, the more I think that we kind of give into that idea. So I don't know. I, I mean, I can honestly say I don't know. I do love the 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 lessons for for the seventh Sunday uh, of Easter, um, and I think you can still get there with those lessons. You can't do that with Epiphany, although I actually, I do think that, that the Epiphany lessons are, are an option um, for, the Sunday, for the Sunday following Epiphany. I'm not sure anymore. I'm not sure. Well, one of the ways, one of the ways you can kind of massage that is with um, Christmas 2 lessons, if you have Christmas 2. That's what it was, Christmas 2 lessons, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know, right? I mean, it's it's half, you know. I'm I'm that. This is one I'm really torn on. Generally, I would I would say no, but I, it's also really important for uh, for us to talk about these feasts more than we than we get a chance to when life isn't, you know, in quarantine. Well, Father Keith votes. Thank you very much for being with us on uh, this episode of All Things Right and Musical. Thank you, David. Take care. You too. Thanks.